The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Church family, go ahead and have a seat. I have you for the next two hours. (laughs) So uh, open your Bibles to uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 30. And uh, would you join me in prayer once more? Uh, Father, we we are full of joy because of you. Um, God, there is... There is gladness in the joy of your presence, and certainly in the presence of your saints, um, you are present, and so there is joy rightly to be had there. Um, but above all, it's you. God, you are the source. It's always you, and that is our, our desire to, just to, to, to be in this, in this joy, to experience this joy to the fullest. And sometimes that joy is present when there is heartache and there is tears it, um, because it's, it's, it's set, it's fixed on Christ. Um, and he doesn't change. And so we thank you for this everlasting joy. We thank you for this time that we're able to have together as a church family and now um, spending the, <clears throat> the bulk of it in your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, just bless it, bless the, the proclamation of it and bless the receiving of it um, for our good and for your namesake. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me get my notes up. All right, the saga that came to mind. The saga of Jacob's life continues before us this morning. And as it's already been kind of made aware, brace yourselves for similar to last week when Ray preached, we are going to take a big chunk of Scripture on it. Genesis chapter 30, picking up in verse 25, all the way through verse thir- or chapter 31, all the way to 55, the whole chapter, chapter and a half. And this will, this will be without question the largest volume content of Scripture I have ever preached. So the stakes are high that I will acquire the golden mic for the longest sermon currently held by Jason. But we'll see. Time will tell. So let's get started. The clock is ticking. So how to go about this, right? Like, that's huge. How to go about this? Well, I see the big idea and the two points leading to it as being very concise, which is very helpful. And yes, I said two points from this chapter and a half. This narrative portion of scripture on the continued saga of Jacob's life that fits into the the bigger narrative of God's redemptive story, of which our lives also, if you are in Christ, our lives also are are a part of. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then God has brought you into his redemptive story of salvation that will be revealed at the return of Jesus. So it, it, it behooves us to pay attention and learn from accounts such as what we have before us this morning that we ourselves would be working with God in the most complete way possible 
to fulfill our part of it that he is doing through us. You following? Like, that's, that's so important to just have. Like, we are a part of the story. God has done it by grace. So, the, the short and sweet big idea, our end game, if you will, take home for today is where there is trust, there is peace. Where there is trust, there is peace. And the bedrock of trust stems from one's loyalty or one's faithfulness, you could say. God is loyal. He is a faithful God. Caleb Rice, he loaned me a short read by A.W. Tozer. I think many of you here may have read it also. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy. And I've been very blessed by it and have captured multiple quotes to retain and reflect back on. Listen to this one, spoken on God's faithfulness. I I love it. A.W. Tozer says this, says, God, being who he is, cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable. So all his words and acts must be and must remain faithful. Men become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of these forces can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does. That's so cool. He cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and acts from within himself by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. That's like a goosebump quote for me. I love that. That is so awesome. Such a good quote. And it is is so key to what we are looking at here today. For the first point, as we kick off and start moving forward towards the conclusion of where there is trust, there is peace, our first point is the unfaithfulness of man. The unfaithfulness of man, so accurately described by A.W. Tozer. And the second point, also so accurately described by Tozer, is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God, the first unfaithfulness of man, results in not having peace, while the second, the faithfulness of God, brings peace. The way I intend to move through this is, is, is much like going on a mountain bike ride. That's what I picture. And, and a common thing you will encounter on a trail moving towards an endpoint destination is these little markers along the way. And a a popular one is being a a little gnome statue. This this little white bearded pointy hat statue of a man. Like Keebler Elfish. Like I'm not joking. They're on the trails. (laughs) Just placed here and there along the way. So in, in a similar way, I see this long path of the unfaithfulness of man 
with multiple markers of the faithfulness of God placed along the way to our destination of where there is trust, there is peace. So saddle up. Let's, let's, let's get on our bike and let's, let's, get, let's get moving on this ride. We set off with our first point, the unfaithfulness of man. And the outline of how this will be broken up will be different from the norm. So for you type A'ers here, where this is important and helpful, and I get that, this is what I want you to do, okay? Our first point, the unfaithfulness of man, it encompasses most of the narrative before us. It just does. Genesis 30, verse 25, all the way to verse 44 in chapter 31. That's just unfaithfulness of man through it all. While the second point, the faithfulness of God, is marked here and there along the way. So, so give yourself plenty of space under the first point to take notes on and then find a fitting spot to place the header for the second point, the faithfulness of God. And when we encounter those markers along the way, you know, jot them down there. Jot them down, uh, capture them, and what they entail as they are the crux. They are the crux of how peace is arrived at in the end. Okay? We tracking? Okay, thank you. Okay, time to pedal. We have ground to cover. Uh, so read along with me verses 25 through 34 in chapter 30. 25 through 34. All right, here we are. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Joseph said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little when I came, and you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed me Blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, this be Laban speaking, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all of your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my, honesty will, so my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good. Let it be as you have said. And we'll stop there. We'll stop there. So things are looking pretty good at this point, right? They're looking pretty good at the moment. You know, essentially what is taking place is, is Jacob now with the two wives, Leah and Rachel. He has 11 sons now and one daughter. And he's at a place in his life where he, he sees it's time for him to, to no longer be under Laban as a servant but rather return to his home and country and make a, make a living for his own family, for himself. And it's important to note also 
that we see clear marks of growth in Jacob's life. It, it, it struck me funny that I initially held Jacob while I'm preparing for this sermon. I initially held Jacob in not so positive of a light because of his patterns up until now. Like, I'm just, that's just how I was working. But I kept finding myself saying, no, 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 J- Jacob is conducting himself godly here. Like, this is, this is good. This is a bit, this is a different man that I've been used to for, for up to, up till this point. As he should be, right? As he should be when God has been working in his life, same as for any one of us. There ought to be changes, there ought to be changes, Christian. The, the, the effects of sanctification ought to be apparent to you as you look back on your life. And perhaps, more importantly, to others. To others, over the lapse of time in your walk with life, that ought to be observed in others. And we see this in Jacob's life as he humbly and respectfully makes this request to Laban, seeking his blessing upon it. Now, this is, this is a different Jacob than the one who left Canaan 14 years ago, fleeing the wrath of his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him, just bent on killing him. God has been working in Jacob's life, instructing him through, you could say, the, the school of hard knocks, right? The school of hard knocks, life lessons. And Jacob is learning. Jacob is learning. He is being shaped by it for the better. And so we all, we all, and, and especially the youth here, many are having birthdays, but still youth, especially youth here, we you know, give thought to that. Give thought to that. May, may such, you know, the school of hard knocks, life lessons, may such lead to, to humility in our lives and not hardness. Not hardness. Jacob has grown in humility. Evidenced by his request to Laban, who, who doesn't say no, doesn't say no, but, but nor does he say yes, right? His attention, rather, goes to the fact that life has fared well for him because of Jacob, who, who Laban gives respect for it. Like, he acknowledges it. Acknowledges that, that through divination, which really could simply be understood as learned by experience, that's one of the translations, Though Laban himself hasn't, though Laban hasn't shown himself to be an upright man, so it could be something more like the practice of divination or fortune telling. We'll learn soon he has false gods in his house, so it could be either. But either way, it is clear that Laban it is clear to Laban. It's clear to Laban that the Lord has blessed him, Laban, you know, become very wealthy because of Jacob. Knowing his prosperity is directly linked to Jacob, Laban entreats Jacob to stay. I want you to stay. Using the words of the passage, like, you know, name your wages and I will give it. Name your price. I'll start paying you now, okay? I want you to stay. Jacob, grown through life experiences in large part, by being under Laban's abuse and strong arm, knows not to bite on the offer. He just knows not to bite on it. Doing so would keep him where he's at. So after affirming God's favor shown to Laban, 
being because of Jacob, Jacob acknowledges it himself. Like, yeah, for you, Laban, had little before I, Jacob, I came, and it, ha- and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. So it's clear to Jacob as well. There's no secret there. Jacob then presents a fair and balanced proposal, okay? A proposal that, that divvies up the flock between the two of them and keeps things honest. Laban has, has not shown himself to be an honest man. He just hasn't. Not shown to be trustworthy. Jacob, he knows this. Who's been cheated by him, right? Just, just, there's no question there. So this, this is a wise proposal made, and they, they both pleasantly agreed to it. Like Laban says, good. Like, I like this. Good. And the proposal being that Jacob would go through and separate the flock as determined by their markings. That's what he's going to do, just by t- determining by their markings, making a distinction to that which would be Laban's and that which would be Jacob's. Jacob would have the flock with markings on them, and Laban would not. It's pretty clear. And Jacob also says that he would remain and continue to pasture Laban's flock and to keep it for time before he departs as, as a form of payment for the flock, much like he did for his two wives. Okay? They've already done this. We're just going to do it again. Which I, which I believe to be very generous of Jacob, considering the situation. Like, it's clear. You're blessed because of me. So, I, again, this, this shaping of Jacob's life, his heart, I think I see that as just generous, humble and generous. And we learn later that the time span turns out to be six years, about six years. And during these six years, any time Laban could come and and inspect Jacob's flock to see if any of Laban's were there, right? Any time, come. Our flock are distinct. They have markings. Check it out. You know, distinguishable markings of whose or whose. In short, keeping things honest. Keeping things honest. And this is a great start. These two men have an agreement. There is, there is perceived trust and therefore peace between them. This is a good path to take. That is, that is so long as they remain loyal to one another in it. So long as there is honesty in word and action between them, that trust would remain intact. And this is where things go sideways. And this is where things begin to go sideways because of the unfaithfulness of man. Picking up now in verse 35, and we're going to read all the way to 43. From 35 to 43. But that day... Verse 35, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and, white, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. 
And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black of the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Right away, right? (laughs) Right away, Laban acts dishonestly. The very day he agreed for Jacob to go through and separate the flock by distinct markings, he acts behind Jacob's back to manipulate the outcome. With the help of his sons, he depletes the flock of the very sheep and goats that bear the markings of what was agreed to be Jacob's. And then he sets a distance of three days' journey. He doesn't just do it here. It's just like big distance, big gap between them. And he left Jacob to pasture his own flock. Ah, man, who, who Jacob, because of being cheated by Laban once again, had no flock of his own to pasture at the present time. I mean, the same day. So we've gotten to, we've gotten to know Jacob pretty well, pretty, fairly well up to this point, right? So how do you think he will respond to Laban's disloyalty? He is being molded by God, but he still has trickery up his sleeve, right? It's still, it's still in his genes, not Levi's, but in his genes, his DNA, in a sense. So Jacob manipulates the situation himself through cunning efforts. This time, by some strange breeding manipulation, which one would rightly think, how would this work? <laughs> how would this work? Since, since when did breeding taking place while facing striped branches or sticks influence the outcome of the offspring? It seems more silly than actually having any authentication of being effective. But Jacob, he needed to act, and if he were ever to get out from under the thumb of Laban, and this is what he knows to do, some some own manipulation. So he implements this strange breeding tactic to to manipulate the growth of the flock, and it works. It works. Only, I'd add briefly here, It works only because God caused it to work, which we will see in the upcoming verses shortly. God, not Jacob's cleverness or cunning, but God faithfully working amongst the mess to bring about his purposes. God allowed this strange breeding technique to work for Jacob, who further exploits it, by only using the bizarre breeding tactic when the stronger of the flock were breeding, right? Uh, Thus, over the span of six years, builds up his flock with the strongest and leaves the weakest for Laban, as verse 42 says. So in the end of these six years, verse 43, thus the man Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. God's blessing 
God's blessing, as he promised, is upon Jacob. So we, we had a peaceful agreement between these two men in the beginning. Based on trust. Laban isn't loyal to it, which presses Jacob to familiar means of cunning to contend for himself. What is going to result? What is going to result? Well, certainly not peace between them. Not peace between them. The trail continues moving on. And I believe our first gnome, or our first marker of the faithfulness of God, is soon approaching. And boy, is it needed. Boy, is it needed. So, let's continue on through verse uh, 16. Verse 1 through, oh wait, the result. On to the next chapter, chapter 31, picking up with verse 1 through 16. Let's go ahead and read that. Verse 1 through 16. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Hold up. What was that? There it is, right? There it is. We encounter the first marker of God's faithfulness. God visits Jacob. Let's continue on through verse 16 to get the full content of it, okay? Picking up now, verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, that would be Laban, if Laban said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the, of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and molted. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out of this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, to you, Jacob, do. God's present, right? He's present there. God is present. So move your pen down to the space provided under the second point, the faithfulness of God. And the faithfulness of God, and take note of the first marker 
in those verses 1 through 16 of chapter 31. God is present. God is present. He is always present. And he, at this time in Jacob's life, visits him again, providing direction and most of all assurance that he, God, you know, that the same God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, made a vow to me, God specifies to Jacob in verse 13. It's me. It's the same one you met at Bethel. It's me. And know this, I am with you. I am with you. And boy, how must have Jacob needed that at this time? I mean, reports are coming to Jacob of the envy expressed in hostile words by Laban's sons over Jacob's prosperity, accusing Jacob falsely of taking, stealing from their father, which was simply not true. Lies are being spread about Jacob. But Jacob assures his wives that God has been with him. Did you catch that, right? Has been with him and promises to be with him still. God is so faithful to do just that, saints. And oftentimes, as we see here, it's in the most bleakest of hours he waits till before he shows up and provides what we need in the moment. Jacob needed this assurance. He needed this assurance. I will be with you. And we ourselves also need to be reminded of this same assurance. Matthew 28, 20. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you. The faithfulness of God. Hebrews 13, 5, 6. I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. God assures Jacob of this. Same as to us, Christian, I will be with you. God has been with Jacob the whole time as he makes known this to his wives in verse 5. I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has, right, has been with me. Jacob continues to inform them, inform them of how God, who has been with him, has guided and blessed Jacob through all the years Laban, their father, has been cheating him. God brings Jacob guidance by a dream of his, by a dream of his faithfulness, of God's faithfulness to Jacob, to bless Jacob through the means of the unusual breeding tactics mentioned earlier. Like, that's what God was showing him. God was present there, as if to say to Jacob in the dream, the success you are experiencing with this breeding tactic is not to be credited to your cleverness. That was me. That was me the whole time. That was me. Uh Uh-uh, it's me. I'm behind it. I'm directing the flock in your favor, Jacob. I've been with you the whole time. God has been with Jacob the whole time, and every time Laban changed his wages, 
changed terms on Jacob, God was present there. What does he say? Seeing, seeing all that Laban was doing to him. God is present with Jacob and would providentially turn things in the favor of Jacob time and time again. We see, we see the faithfulness of God here, which reminds us with comfort and encouragement, God is present and sees all that is taking place in our lives as well. There's not one iota of a happening, of a circumstance that he doesn't have his eye catch every detail of it. He sees it all. And with his hand upon you, same as with Jacob, he is sure to bring guidance and work his will through providence in fulfilling every purpose of his in your life so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Though man tries this truth, we can be confident in because of the faithfulness of God. What happens next? What happens next? So free up your pen now. Free up your pen as we take off from this first marker of God's faithfulness, which is our second of two points, and we pedal a bit further down the trail of the unfaithfulness of man. The first of the two points. Pedal down the trail, picking up now in verse 17. We're going to read through 21. Oh, so Jacob, Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Jacob's getting out of Dodge, right? (laughs) He's getting out of Dodge. And can you blame him? for what's going on and what has gone on 20 years now. He's getting out of Dodge. He is making haste to gather all that is his and quickly go, as God told him, to his, his, his home, his country, his kinsmen, back to Canaan. And he does so not only in haste, but secretly. Any amount of trust between Laban and Jacob is nil right now, just nil. Dishonesty, deceit, and disloyalty on terms agreed upon has eroded away completely any trust that would, have been, that would have been there had they remained faithful. But this wasn't the case. Man was unfaithful. The result, and this results in the polar opposite of peace between them. If trust was present, that would have been there, but it wasn't. So it's the polar opposite of, tree, of, of peace. Instead, we have more division, more turmoil, and heartache for the individuals involved. Which is everyone, right? Not just Jacob and Laman, but everyone. Collateral damage will most likely, if not always, ensue when trust is broken between two parties. Laban is a crooked man, okay? But to not have the opportunity to say goodbye to his daughters and grandchildren 
in all likelihood being the last time he would ever see them? Like, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. And consider also everyone in Jacob's house, which is not a small number. Everyone is on board. Everyone's gathering all the belongings of Jacob's to flee to Canaan. However, everyone is looking over their back, right? They're not going there in peace. They are, they're fleeing. That's not a joyful ride or a joyful departure. They're looking over their back all along the way with concern over Laban and his men in hot pursuit of them. And rightly so, and in, indeed, that is what happens. And that's just it, isn't it? The, the collateral damage will most likely, if not always, ensue when trust is broken. It will not remain isolated. In short, where there is no trust, there is no peace. And where there is no peace, life is miserable. Life is miserable. I mean, you could, be in a, you could be in a glorious mansion placed in the most picturesque of spots and be an absolutely miserable soul because of having no peace in your life. Where there is trust, there is peace. But it's not here. It's not here due to the effects of the unfaithfulness of man. And Rachel, 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 ay. Rachel adds a layer to it, doesn't she? Verse 19, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Well, that ought to help the situation out. Not, right? I, what in the world is she thinking? What is she thinking? And who knows? Not much is said about it. Not much is said, but it is revealing of her heart, isn't it? It's revealing of her heart. Clear, <clears throat> clearly, she had attachment to these false gods, these, these household gods of her father's, as did her father Laban, as we will soon see. You know, was it for monetary purposes? Or, or was it more than that? I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. And I, I'm not going to speculate on that. But, but what I will take note of, what we will take note of, is that she stole it, okay? She stole it, and she covers up stealing it by lying to her father's face. When he comes seeking for it, she stole it. And lastly, that, that nothing is recorded in Scripture of Leah taking anything of that nature. Nothing. Leah's not sinless. We certainly know that. But, but the fact that it is Rachel and not Leah does reveal a bit about their hearts. It's worth noting also that it was through the line of Leah, the tribe of Judah came from, from which, came which is from where our Lord Jesus descends from. Okay? It wasn't through Rachel's offspring. Though she, is, she was attractive in appearance and form and was loved by Jacob more than her sister, but God's promised blessing wasn't through her offspring. So in considering this, women here, women here and especially the young women present, this is a timely place to consider Proverbs 31.30. 30. 
as we consider Rachel's heart and what this reveals. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That is a gem of a verse to commit to memory for men and women, right? Men who are not married, that is the beauty you look for. Men who are married, that is the beauty you affirm and rejoice in above all beauty that is there in your marriage. And for women, young women who are seeking the Lord and maturing and growing, that is something to hide deep in your heart of what matters most. Having a a warm and welcoming personality and properly caring for yourself to be healthy through all your years are good attributes. They're wonderful attributes to have. But it all pales in comparison to the inward beauty adorned on the heart of a woman who fears the Lord. She indeed is to be praised. Back on the trail now. Back on the trail of the unfaithfulness of man. Let's continue with verses 22 through 30. 22 through 30. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country and of, into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, Aramean, in a night, boy, in a dream by night, and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with myrrh and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have stolen. And now you have gone away because you have longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? And we'll stop there before Jacob answers. So the the situation intensifies, right? It intensifies. But did you catch the gnome? Did you catch the marker? Did you see the marker of the faithfulness of God? Verse 24, referenced by Laban in verse 29. Right? Let's, let's get the storyline a little bit. So Laban learns of Jacob fleeing to his, to his home and country and is in hot pursuit of him, as you would expect. And he closes in on the heels of Jacob and company. And just before Laban overtakes them, the night before, verse 24, God visits Laban in a dream to give him what? A warning. <laughs> to give him a warning. Be Careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad, which I find humorous. Either good or bad. It's like a heavy way of saying, don't touch him. Don't touch him. He is, 
he is mine. Watch yourself, Laban. Jabin, Jabin, Jacob is under my protection. Don't touch him. The faithfulness of God shining through here as our God is a God who contends for us. He is a God who contends for us. He fights for us. So drop down again and put that under the second point. Our God is a God who fights for us, faithfully so. Is, it, is not this what we read so often in, in the scriptures? Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, for example. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. To do what? To give you the victory. Like, that's awesome powerful verse, and many are like it. I love, I love Moses. I love how Moses says it, the same thing, says it moments before leading the Israelites through the Red Sea, before the water has parted. It's not parted yet. It's still before them, and, and he, the Pharaoh and the Egyptian army is poised to pounce on the, on the Israelites, right? And this is what he says in that moment in Exodus 14, verse 14. The Lord will Fight for you. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be, guess what? Silent. <laughs> so beautiful. Just silent. You only have to, in other words, trust him. Trust him. You only have to trust him. He will fight for you. He did then. He does here with Jacob, and he is faithful to do so all the days of your life, Christian. You may trust him in this with all your heart. He is a God who fights for you. Laban, likely still weak in the knees from the warning received from God, overtakes Jacob and asks the obvious questions from what we know. Why did, why did you flee? And why did you take household gods from me? Let's pick up in verse 31 and read through verse 35 to continue the narrative. 31. Jacob answered. Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from, from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and entered and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of, for the way of a woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. More dishonesty. More unfaithfulness is taking place. What will this yield? What do you think this is going to yield? 
An irate Jacob is what it yields, okay? <laughs> there is much growth in Jacob's life by God's hand upon him, but this doesn't mean he won't have a breaking point, and it's reached. Which, let's not forget, would not have been reached had the love of his life, Rachel, not stolen from her father's, stolen from her father, stolen her father's gods in the first place. It didn't need to be reached, but more of this unfaithfulness just continues to intensify the situation. Jacob had no idea about this. So he's standing there falsely accused and innocent. Understandably, at this point, he is lit up. He is upset. So get ready for this tongue lashing by Jacob against Laban. In verse 36 through 42. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? See here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they, <clears throat> that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by the wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my own hand, from my hand, you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my, my sleep fled from my eyes. He repeats this, like, these 20 years I have been in your house. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, which I think they're just like punctuation, right? Fear, God, ugh, I just love that. The fear of Isaac had not been on my side. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And I picture, like, Laban doing one of these things. Like, whoa, like, that was just an onslaught. And rightly so. Everything is on point, right? But I don't think that is the case. I don't think that's the case. For, for look at what, what he says. Look at Laban says as we continue in verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. <laughs> the children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for all these my daughters or for their children whom I have borne? Ay, ay, ay. He is still, he still views everything as his own. I mean, what a stubbornly, arrogant, unfaithful man Laban is. The only reason he doesn't take them by force is because of God's clear protection over them. Otherwise, I believe Scripture is, is making clear here that he, he would have. That's the faithfulness of God. There's a reason he's not, because God showed him, spoke to him in a dream. Don't. But recognize, you know, so Laban recognizes that he can't. For doing so would be fighting against God. So in this situation is where he finds himself still stubbornly arrogant and unfaithful, but, but knowing he can't do that because God is with Jacob. Laban seeks to make terms for peace between them by covenant. 
because clearly Jacob is lit up, right? He wants to make peace. And that's what we see here in the closing verses. So let's go ahead and finish up verses 44 through 55. Come now. Laban says, come now. Let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadatha, which is Aramean for heap of witness. But Jacob called it Galid, which is Hebrew for the same thing. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is a witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar, which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, which I just see as worship. Like, this is done. He's just worshiping here now, just a Thanksgiving. He offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread, and they spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Another, another agreement is made between the two of them. That Jacob wouldn't oppress his wives, the daughters of Laban, or take any other wives when he returns to his home and country. And that, and that neither of them would go beyond the location of where this covenant is being made, where they make this, this big rock as a pillar in this heap, just a visual witness of this covenant. We won't cross over. You don't come to me, I don't come to you to do in each other harm. To be, in essence, to be and remain at peace with each other. To be and remain at peace with each other. Were there any markers of the faithfulness of God in this final stretch of trail, bringing about this lasting peace by covenant? Indeed there was, right? Indeed, there was. Verse 49 specifically, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. God will hold us accountable. God holds accountable. And it's by all this, marker number one, right? Marker number one of the, in, the, in, the, in this passage, in this today's sermon of the faithfulness of God, God is always present, right? That's marker number one. God is always present, always sees what's going on. Marker number two, God is a God who 
fights for us. Faithfully fights for us. Faithfully present always. Faithfully fighting for us. And number three, faithful to hold us accountable. Faithful to be, to be accountable to him. And despite all this, by God's faithfulness to all this, whereby trust is brought in between them, that peace may be had that's lasting. Peace between Jacob and Laman. For where there is trust, there is peace. I'll close close with this in regards to trust. Let's start horizontally, okay? Let's start there with trust between relationships we share with one another. First off, I'd argue that it, trust, is to be prized as one of the most highly valued virtues to ever have. To have trust, to be trustworthy. I think it surpasses all, just to have, because it encompasses so much, right? To be trustworthy. And in all relationships, in all relationships, where there is trust, there is peace. Where there is trust, there is peace. And when it is not there, when trust is not there, life is miserable for everyone. And bound to be full of strife, restlessness, anxiety, fear, and the like. Just kind of like a a churning in your life to be in a state of steady turmoil and agitation when trust isn't there. And since the bedrock of trust stems from one's loyalty, sadly, it can easily be pulverized by disloyalty, by dishonesty, by the unfaithfulness of man. Trust can just be ripped out of your heart, right? It can just be just like, I, well, ah, it's just gone. I hurt. It's just part of me is gone. And I believe that is the case, and I believe everyone to a degree knows what I'm talking about because we want to trust others. Because there is peace there. We want to have that trust. Because where there is trust, there is peace. So, so when it's broken, it can feel like it's just been ripped out of your soul. But let me say this. Let me say this. Trust is always, trust is always worth the risk to have rebuilt in the relationship, if at all possible. It's always worth the risk, if at all possible, always worth the risk to take those steps of faith to rebuild. Now trust vertically. Trust vertically between you and your creator, between me and my creator. Is there peace? Is there peace between you and God? In the depths of your soul, can you say, I have peace with God? I'm not asking whether you have knowledge about God or can quote any number of scripture, I am asking, is there peace between you and God? To answer that question, I'll ask a few more. Do you trust 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His blood shed for you on the cross on Calvary, that it atones for your sin, which you stand guilty before God for. Do you trust in that finished work? Do you trust God to forgive you for all your sin? Past, present, and future. Through your faith in Jesus, whose blood, the Bible tells us, cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Do you trust that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ? Do you trust him? Do you trust him to daily supply the grace for you to practice repentance as you pursue holiness in the fear of God? Do you trust he will never leave you or forsake you so you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Do you trust God? Is there peace between you and God? For where there is trust, there is peace. The answer to these questions determines whether you will have abiding peace all the days of your life, both here and now and for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, um, trustworthy God, loyal Father, how we love you, and we thank you for this time. And I pray it's been helpful, Father, as it's been, I know, helpful to me. I pray that, um, that that is shared, as you would determine specifically into the, the lives of each other. We recognize we're, we're all guilty of unfaithfulness at times, of bringing that damage, bringing that hurt. We also recognize that we are a part of collateral, collateral damage at times as well. But we do want to be people. We do want to be Christians whose hope and faith is set on you our creator, and the hope we have in your son, Jesus Christ, that we're always one who pursues trust, who cultivates it in our own lives, that we would have that peace. And similar to you, God, faithful God, who brings, is trustworthy to bring peace between parties, we ourselves will be peacemakers. We want to be peacemakers. We know, Jesus, what you said about peacemakers. For theirs is the kingdom of God, I believe, is, is how that verse states it. And so help us, because we need you. We can't, we are, we are, without you, without your presence in our life, your constant presence, we fall short. We will fail. It will not happen. 
And so God, be present, be contending for us as we fight against the enemies or just our, even our own selves who would oppose that pursuit. And we want to stand before you as we give an account that we've done well. That we've done well in that pursuit. That we've been humble and meek and always willing to move forward and to build trust, to pursue it over and over again because it is worth the risk. So, I pray this, my God. I thank you for your word. I thank you for you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, this church family. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.